0: And welcome to the Hope Happens Here podcast. This is Kate Gosney Hoffman, and I'm so glad you're here. Today we were joined by Sheriff Don Barnes. He is the Orange County Sheriff and has been working in law enforcement and keeping Orange County safe for, I think he said, nearly three decades. Super grateful to have Sheriff Barnes here. So we'll let you take a listen. Today we are joined by Sheriff Barnes, our Orange County Sheriff. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. It's such an honor. And we wanted to just have a conversation today just to get to know you a little bit more and also just your experience and take on the relationship between mental health and the criminal justice system. And I know you probably have (laughs) more than 30 minutes worth to talk about when it comes to those kinds of topics, but maybe we could just start off by hearing a little bit about you and what your role these days looks like and kind of a day in the life of you these days.
1: That's an interesting question because I'm, <laughs> I'm getting ready to start my 33rd year in law enforcement wow. coming up soon. And if I if you asked me that question in 10-year increments, I would give you a different answer every mm-hmm. year. When I started in this profession, it was dealing mostly with gangs and narcotics. Oh, wow. uh, some cocaine was the, was the drug of the era at that moment. And over certain changes in, in enforcement postures, that kind of subsides, and now over the course of th- not more than three decades, we are dealing a lot of with a lot of social issues. Hmm. Not by design, by default, hmm. a lot of the issues that we have that have manifested and fallen on the shoulders of law enforcement to deal with have never been designed or been the destiny of law enforcement professionals to, to intervene on. Right. And it makes it very. Uh, All encompassing. This job today is much more uh, encompassing of a lot of different aspects of societal challenges and things that we are dealing with in law enforcement, not just in the Sheriff's Department, but across a much broader spectrum of of public safety. But it does create an opportunity depending how you look at that. Uh, I recently testified uh, on the President's Commission on Law Enforcement and the Administration of Justice. I was on the Social Issues Impacting Law Enforcement Subcommittee. And the three issues that I spoke on specifically were homelessness, mental illness, and substance use disorder. Many wow. of them are interrelated. They all kind of are tied together as a much larger issues. And in my testimony, I said the first person, somebody who's experiencing a mental health crisis should come in contact with, should not be a peace officer wearing a uniform and a gun. There's got to right. be other intervention strategies that are put in place. Right that are just lacking currently. And we've done a great job in Orange County and, and other areas throughout the state to start putting in place some of these great strategies that will be serving these these individuals much better than we can or should be doing that. And that's tied also to homelessness and substance use disorder. And those really are, in many ways, interconnected. Somebody's experiencing homelessness oftentimes may have a mental illness. Yeah. Uh, sometimes minor, sometimes significant. Uh, Sometimes they will have a substance use disorder. Sometimes the substance use disorder drives the mental illness. Sometimes Mm -hmm. the mental illness is self-medicating with narcotics or alcohol or other drugs. Mm -hmm. So they're all really tied together, and we have to look at it that way. And every opportunity we have with the public we serve has to be looked at through that lens. How can we get somebody out out of the criminal justice system into an appropriate intervention strategy to help get them either into sobriety, Or mental health stability, or into housing, or whatever that might be. So we don't have to go back and deal with that individual again.
0: And that's a very multi layered process, right? Lots of people need to get involved in achieving those goals, you know, getting that person to the right place, assessment, all of that. I mean, so what does that really look like?
1: Well, if you look, I use the analogy of dominoes when you're a kid, you know, tipping dominoes up on their side and knocking them over one at a time. It's an ordinal process. And right now, we're building that domino stack backwards. We're putting in strategies within the Orange County Jail and other agencies working with us because that's one area where they oftentimes end up is within the Orange County Jail system. Right Uh, right now, well, before COVID-19, in a normal housing environment or normal environment, we would have roughly between 5,500 and 6,000 inmates in the Orange County Jail system. Mm -hmm. And on any given day, normally, especially over the course of the last five years before covid two out of five inmates entrusted my care have a daily nexus to mental health treatment that's between 1,950 and 2000 people every day who need some type of mental health treatment and they oftentimes cycle in and out of the jail on a very routine basis they just repeatedly come back for criminal violations of law oftentimes minor violations of law but they don't come to me because they're mentally ill they come to me because somebody brings them to me because they committed a criminal offense either through the courts or through arrest And that becomes uh, hugely problematic, but also creates an opportunity for me to create an environment where we can treat them and get them into stability. And that's true with substance use disorder. Mm -hmm. Also I have between 100 and 120 people on a normal day that are being medically detoxed, medically supervised detox uh, off of alcohol and or drugs. And more than half the population have an addiction issue in the inside custody and two out of 10 one in five have uh, will self-declare as being homeless. All these things compound, all these issues compound upon themselves and make it very difficult yeah. to tie them to services once they get released. And we're doing that very well right now. But the, the issue is we're doing it while they're in jail. The issue we have to build, the system we have to build out is That domino. We're at Domino 40, which is when they're in jail. We need to put the other 39 ahead of it and start coming up with any intervention strategies and programs to either prevent them from coming to jail in the first place. And there are programs that existed for decades that just don't work as well as they used to because of the way the criminal justice system has changed. I'm not advocating. I just want to be clear. I'm not advocating for incarcerating. The oh. drug addicted or the mentally ill, but some of those strategies have changed because uh, there's really no way to entice people into treatment anymore, like there was before, because of some of the decriminalization efforts in California hmm. for drug offenses and other other things.
0: I see. So it's the consequences are less than they used to be, and so the the choice is not so black or white.
1: It, it is that. Uh, when you look at Prop 47, for yeah. example, which was the largest decriminalization initiative that took place in California mm-hmm. in the last several years, 2014, it changed the two largest categories of crime that any law enforcement agency or community deals with, property crime and drug crime. And it changed drug crime from felonies to misdemeanors. You, in order to go to state prison, you have to be convicted of a felony. You can't go to state prison for misdemeanor right. offenses. Right. And generally speaking, those are served in the county jail. But the time that somebody might be incarcerated for committing one of those offenses uh, is significantly less than it was just uh, you know seven, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And what that changed for us is the strategies to get somebody into uh, sobriety, for example, is much shorter because there's no longer that hook into somebody to yeah. entice them into treatment. Mm-hmm in lieu of going to state prison for a felony conviction. Right. So I know that I understand the social justice issues and all those things, but sure. I'm just talking from the real world experience of how we're, it makes it difficult to help people who really need help and sometimes save them from themselves yeah. and getting them into treatment opportunities for those types of issues. And mental illness is in the same same conditions today. We've seen over the course of the last 5 years our mental health populations increased uh 60%. That number goes up every year.
0: What do you think's changed? It, the same The what you were just talking about in terms of the changes in the system? Um, or do you think there has been have, have there been other things going on to contribute to this? Because like you said, every 10 years it's looked different for you in comparing and contrasting maybe 10 years ago a decade ago. What would be your opinion? And I know this is not a simple answer. Not everybody knows everything. But What would be the difference? Why has the mental health needs gone up, you think, from your experience?
1: Well, the closure of state hospitals, obviously, the last several state hospitals closed in the last several years. Uh The lack of programs available available for people in crisis. And this Uh has changed in recent years. We have uh, more programs now and more availability of resources. But having somewhere to take somebody in mental health crisis, just until a few years ago, Orange County, a population of 3.2 million residents, We had 10 crisis stabilization beds for adults in the entire county, 10 to serve 3.2 million people. And of course, not all those are in crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, The change of the increase in the homeless population oftentimes have a need for services. And that's a very difficult population to extend services to. If somebody is SPMI, severely or persistently mentally ill, which Mm -hmm. is the highest categorization of mental illness, it takes on average nine to 10 outreach efforts with any one individual in that categorization to develop a trusting relationship where they might even consider accepting services right. and then the worst thing we had done i think previously am i picking on the system or any one part of the system so i don't want be able to take it that way but we looked at this very compartmentalized we didn't triage an individual It was what one thing do they need of the many things they need and tried to do one of those things at a time and if we didn't do that well and we lost that individual out of trust, getting them to re-engage in their own future opportunity to get into stability became much more difficult. Hmm. And I'm just looking at this from not only the law enforcement perspective and our outreach efforts, but also the clinicians we work with over time sure. that have been able to help uh, tag team, if you will, some of these things. So we've changed. We don't do it that way anymore, at least not in Orange County. We look at every opportunity we have for outreach, to triage an individual, bring all the resources that person may need and Mm -hmm. those resources that are available to them based Mm -hmm. on whatever status they might be. For example, a veteran would have veteran services available that they may not be aware of. And so we bring all those to them at one time and try to saturate them with these services. And we do the same thing inside the Orange County Jail currently. We would oftentimes look at the jail as a a warehousing opportunity. You come here, Mm -hmm. you're there, uh, if you want something ask for it if it's something we provide we'll give it to you and now we just offer a saturation of services mm-hmm. every inmate coming through the jail before they leave is i use the term of a high school guidance counselor yeah. you know where do what do you need how can we help you get there and before they walk out the back door we try our best to connect them to services if they're willing and accepting of those offerings that's the best opportunity we have out of a custodial environment to tie them to post success post-release success so that we can keep them into stability, uh, mental health stability, Mm -hmm. sobriety, uh, into housing, whatever that might Mm be. And there's been iterations of this over time for decades. Uh, The MYOCA program, if you are familiar with that, Mentally Ill Mm -hmm. Offender Crime Reduction Mm -hmm. Grant, provided money for that a decade ago, but that money was taken away as we're just in the infancy of our program, which was designed to get those experiencing mental illness At a much less lower levels than we're experiencing today, into tie them to programs uh, post-release. You know, as a clinician, you know this: mental illness is an evil disease, and in treatment, it's cyclical. People get treatment; they may be on medications to stabilize them, and they start to believe, "Well, I'm okay. I don't need my medications anymore." They stop taking medications; they decline, and then that just—it's a circular. Environment they oftentimes end up in. So to keep them in a stability is key,
0: and to have that continuum of care, right? To to have a long-term plan and advocacy, and a support system. But you can only do so much, right? At your level of intervention, right? You know, you you have to be able to let people go and hope for the best but you know set them up for success as much as you can but you can only do so much i can imagine
1: yes but i'm in social work more than i am <laughs> in law enforcement lately when you look at some yeah. of the challenges that we've had you, there's an obligation that you have it's not just about mm-hmm. you know incarcerating people and saying you're held accountable yeah. and you pay your debt to society and then get out right and hope they don't come back right there's this opportunity while you have them to do everything you can uh, while I have them in jail. But I've looked beyond the walls of the jail now. I'm looking mm-hmm. at it from this uh, from a system. How are they getting here? What can we do to prevent? Right. While I have them here, what can I do to get them into stability and sobriety, into programs, post-release, re-entry programming, post-release, where can we take you to to do things? And we've done some innovative things within our jail in just the last several years that I'm very proud of. COVID actually stopped a lot of our uh, processes that we're going to implement that I'm really going to be excited about. Tell Uh, us about those. Well, for example, we have uh, mental health issues, of course, and we're building out that program significantly within the substance use disorder and uh, step down units we are putting in place. We're building all this into place, but it has to be done beyond the walls. But even beyond that, you have to have programs that will meet the needs of the individuals to get them into into, uh, stability once they get out of jail. And that could be employment, it could be housing, it could be tied to um, insurance, uh, Medi-Cal, Medicare. We have several initiatives legislatively we're trying to get passed that would allow us to use MHSA money, the Prop 63 monies, Mm -hmm. for those who are not sentenced pre-custody individuals or for programs in the jails that would be probably a good legitimate use of those monies and may even be the the best return on those dollars investments because that's where I have them right now Mm -hmm. to get them into stability. While they're here, they get them released. Or vocational training. We're bringing back vocational training within the jails that that hasn't happened for decades. Uh, Automotive maintenance, uh, any type of programs we can do that will get people into employment opportunities post-release. Prior to COVID, we had one of the strongest economies this country has seen in 50 years. right. And we we're in essence at full employment. What better way to get somebody yeah. into a great environment for success right. than then trained on a skill set that they could leave, go into the working Boy. environment, uh, yeah. and be employed with the prevailing wage, and hopefully not have them come back.
0: So much of mental health, and uh, you know, we talk a lot about this on the show about just the the shame that accompanies mental health. And with that shame comes a feeling of helplessness and I'm not worth anything. And so so much of recovering from mental health or at least sending people on the right path is empowering them in lots of different ways. So giving them a skill, a trade, something that they can intentionally do. I mean, I can't think of a, you know, it's just one of the best ways you can empower somebody reentering the world, the work, the workforce.
1: Yeah, I get an opportunity to plug one of my favorite organizations, Mecca, which Do is the multi-ethnic, <laughs> uh, uh, multi-ethnic collaborative of community agencies. Yeah. And you mentioned the stigma of mental health. Yeah. And this is a group, and I'm on the board for this mm-hmm. organization, and this is uh, an organization aimed at uh, alleviating or limiting the stigma of right. mental health. And it deals with cultural issues. A lot of the cultures that are present in Orange County, and it's a very broad-based and all-inclusive county of Malte cultures, uh, many different cultures um, has this cultural stigma associated with mental illness. Right. And to get them to move beyond that and, and realize that it it is okay to recognize and address and move forward with that. And I also have a interfaith council that mm-hmm. we work with in the sheriff's department, all the different faith traditions in Orange County. We're going to be bringing it back. I think it's targeted for August, October. Um, where we're going to have a forum on mental illness and go to the faith uh, mm-hmm. traditions, all the different mosques, synagogues, temples, churches, guaduars, and teach clergy and their staff how to embrace the the concept of treating those and accepting those with mental illness to try to get these services back out Fantastic. through the religious system. So, and it's all tied together if you look at what happens and really what's sad about this, and it's not new to you, obviously, is a lot of the ways people end up in the criminal justice system and inside jail or prison could be stopped and prevented if we have a more robust preventative and intervention strategy on the front end to get people out of the criminal element of what they may be committing uh, if it's serious, obviously there has to be some accountability. But if it's minor violations, and many of these are, yeah. to get them out of that and into a program or intervention for stability and and get them out of the criminal justice system entirely.
0: Yes, and that is such a theme in mental health in general is early intervention, right? In in so many ways, and it seems to come up from every walk of life interview that I've had that you know if we just were able to address things earlier catch things earlier, acknowledge that mental health just doesn't show up one day. It's something that has been growing and the seeds were planted a long time ago and let's just recognize signs earlier on. I mean, it's true in general of mental health and and when we're talking about preventing incarceration and the criminal justice system, yes, (laughs) absolutely. What do you think we should be doing to help make that happen? What are we missing?
1: Well, from a juvenile perspective, we have a program in the sheriff's department called uh, Juvenile Diversion, Mm -hmm. and it deals specifically, we have a team of our deputies investigators that do nothing but address school-based issues and juvenile issues, and we work with Pepperdine University with Mm -hmm. their clinicians Mm -hmm. to get kids who may be struggling, who may have unidentified issues, into this program, it's a sliding scale. If you, it's available at no cost or sliding scale, okay. and these clinicians will oftentimes address these children and get them back on their feet okay. and back in a good place, which is important because the way the juvenile justice system works. For those who may not be aware, uh, the juvenile justice system is based on uh, based a, rep- a correcting behavior in a non punitive way, right? Getting them back in a place that's not based on punitive action. At it, when they turn 18 in a day, they're now going into an adult system, which is based on punitive accountability. And as programs with it too, but one action they may be doing at 17 will be viewed as trying to correct the, their behavior in the juvenile system. Where at 18 they end up getting booked into Orange County Jail for the same activity. And it's hard when the adult brain doesn't mature until 25. When exactly. you have these crimes that these acts, these actions that. Yeah. It's hard for a young person who's struggling. And oftentimes, if it's mental illness or some type of behavioral issue or substance use issue, will skew their, their decision-making in a way that lands them in a bad place. Yeah. And once they're in, it's hard to get back out. Yeah. So I love that program. That's very important for us to get kids back on their feet in a good place with a supporting system Great. so they don't uh, end up in the adult system. Every dollar we spend in the juvenile system on prevention, saves us $7 in the end in the adult system over a lifetime. Wow, That's a huge cost savings yeah. for taxpayers to put money where it matters most in that system. So I've I'm, I'm really been big on juvenile correction and those programs to get kids back on their feet without harming them yeah. over a, a, a lifetime.
0: Absolutely.
1: The other part of that for the adult system, though, is equally as important. And there's always been strategies in place through the collaborative courts, mental health court, whatever it takes court, and we've had this court system in place for a long time to get people mm-hmm. back in a good place. Veterans court, we just mm-hmm. opened a veterans unit in the jail two years ago. love that. That is focused only on those who have served our country proudly and they have fallen short. The deputies who work there are also veterans, so there's a connection with them to get them back on their feet. We're very proud of that program as well. The recidivism rate for that in some programs nationally is 5%. Huh. So it's a huge success to have those type of programs. Wow. So that's just one example of many. But we really have to build this program out beyond this. We have the integrated services uh, plan inside Orange County, which is really the manifestation of this discussion over years. It's part of the COC or the uh, continuing of care uh, strategy that we have in Orange County. And it's all just built together, it's all intertwined, but we have to get the front end built out. And we have to get the back end built Mm -hmm. out as well uh, for those experiencing homelessness, which oftentimes has a mental health nexus, to have uh, uh, permanent supportive housing and and shelter available throughout the county to deal with that population.
0: I love that you continue to say that things are all connected because I think something that happens a lot in all kinds of treatment of all kinds of different things, but especially for mental, mental illness, is that it's easy for people to get lost in the shuffle because everybody's operating in their own silo, you know, at least in the world I come from, you know, send you to this specialist or this specialist or this person, you know, that works with this kind of disease or, or whatnot and there's very little integration which is tough because human beings are complex and there's a lot it's all connected and so to have everybody kind of operating in the from these separate camps doesn't always serve the person very well you know and so on a more macro perspective from you talking about the system how important it is for everything to get or to be to, to realize how interconnected everything really is, how re, uh, relate, you know, everything is related. That's, that is what Be Well OC really is about. Recognizing the connectedness between all of the community um, actions that we all have, all the organizations that we can all work together because this is, you know, the person, all their experiences are connected. And as we respond to that, we all need to be connected and be sensitive to that and how that really does make a difference in, helping them to have a relationship between it all.
1: Yeah, you mentioned Be Well OC and yeah. Marshall Moncrief is a good friend. And, and uh, yeah. a lot of what we've done has really been the catalyst that's, that's, that ended, not ended yet, but began with, I should say, Be Well OC. And there's a yeah. second campus mm-hmm. coming online soon in South Orange County. And yeah. I'm I'm working with the CEO's office to see if we can, there's a lot of buildings at that location. I don't want to say where it is yet because mm-hmm. they haven't announced but we want to get one of those buildings available for a post-custody re-entry facility for those who came through the criminal justice system, to have somewhere to go after they've been released to get the services that they needed but that we awesome. gave them while they're inside the jail. So all of those are very important. And yeah. the B for those who don't know, the B center is is a very important strategy for us. It's a place for law enforcement to take people who are either in mental health crisis, mm-hmm. uh, on a fifty-one fifty hold or a fifty-two fifty hold. After that or experiencing it's a detox center it has all these different service provisions that can get somebody back on their feet and a great alternative to the jail sometimes the jail is the alternative that's available and it shouldn't be the only one this Mm -hmm. is one alternative that will be made available including all the support systems that go with it and i'm very proud of the involvement that we've had on that i'm on several i'm on many boards but some of the others i'm on is uh, the commission on homelessness in Orange County and uh, Housing Finance Trust, which is getting the money to build out the, house, the housing system yeah. for homelessness as well, and it's as you said, it's it's all interconnected. Yeah. What what, I, what drives me crazy is uh, and what I refuse to tolerate to a degree. Are people that operate in silos or in self-preservation, mm-hmm. and that has been allowed to occur mm-hmm. over time, mm-hmm. where people really see everybody else's competition, and that's yes. not the way things could work, no. especially in the CBO community-based organization, nonprofit world. We have to work laterally, side to side. I used the analogy once with somebody was talking about that, and I was talking about to about the fourth nonprofit on homelessness when I was dealing with the riverbed a few years ago. Oh. And they're bringing to me what they could do. And I stopped them. I said, stop. You're telling me the same thing I've already heard. And the problem is you need to be working laterally with these other nonprofits. And what I told them was, if you remember the old um, uh, Miracle on 34th Street movie, I said, I want the the Macy Santa. I want somebody to sit and say, you have a problem, but I can't help you. You need to go over here to get the help that you need and connect everything together laterally. So we're triaging this person, as you said, at one one time and getting. A saturation of services around that person. We need to envelop them with the service offerings in a way that we're not doing an assembly line. We're we're dealing with everything they're they're experiencing at the same time. Totally. Because you can't just fix one part of ten issues. You have to look yeah. at it holistically and make sure that they are being addressed uh, as one person experiencing one thing, rather than all these disparate issues that sometimes we we peel off.
0: Because they're they're people, right? And it's. It, there's a system in place, but also this is 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 made up of individual people with their own traumas, with their own histories. And you can I am so realistic. you can only look at so much because there is a criminal justice system that has to run. But I'm curious about you specifically and your um just in our last couple minutes that we have the last few minutes, just your experience personally in working with this, because you've said a couple times that you' you feel like you're a social worker more than not a lot of the times. And has your, View, feeling, um, opinions about the person struggling with mental illness that are maybe repeat offenders or whatnot? Ha- your relationship to them, your thoughts about them, has it changed over time? Do you have a different perspective about it? Um, how has it impacted you, I guess?
1: You know, I, I think it, I don't want to say I've changed over time. Uh-huh. I think I've become maybe frustrated over time with some of the things that we experience. And I'm not picking or assessing blame on anybody. But when you get to this point in your career, the worst thing you can do is look back over 30 years at opportunities missed. Mm. And when I was a young deputy working the jail, oftentimes worked in the mental health section of the jail. So I saw people coming in who oftentimes are struggling with decision-making and it's hard to hold them accountable when you know that they are not uh, 100% control of the decisions they're making. It's the only. It's the safest way I can say, describe somebody in that and environment. That's well said. Yeah. And so you have to work with them, develop trust, and then when you go through a career, you have other opportunities out in the environment in patrol, mm-hmm. or as a field training officer, and then as an executive and manager, and all these opportunities came up. We just implemented a full behavior health bureau within the Orange County Sheriff's Department. Right. Twice, once inside the jail and once inside the community that we're serving. Because as I said, you can't just go out and have a homeless liaison officer right. because that's homelessness is not the only thing impacting that individual. Right. There are many other factors that got them there. I use a term that I love when I try to explain this to people, which is complex. Simple problems are easy. You know, two plus yeah. two equals four. And then you have sure. Um, complicated issues. Baking the cake for the first time is complicated and yeah. it becomes routine. Yeah. Complex is many other variables that come in and they change. There's a dynamic of not one person is the same as the next and you have to peel that layer back and figure out what is driving that individual. So to your question, what, why I am the way I am, um, I, it just bothers me that we've gotten this place, uh, not only in Orange County, but just a society where people are falling off they're falling. You walk right by them, and they're not seen as people anymore. Right. They're just somebody who is down on their luck, or whatever it may be. And I think we have an obligation to band together as a, as a community, not as in one community, not the white community, the Latino community, the LGBT community, the Black community, or based on religion or whatever it might be. We have to come together as one community and and use this synergy to start treating people who need a hand up not a handout a hand up we need to help lift them up and what i found through this and what we've we seen through all of our endeavors in the jail and i've gotten tremendous feedback positive feedback from families and also inmates who were in our custody that their words not mine i feel like i was valued i think i've had letters written to me by def, uh, about deputies i want to thank this deputy because mm-hmm. they treated me this way and offered these services and i feel like i'm on a good path for the first time in many years wow. there's a there's a complex solution in there though it takes the person the individual to buy into their own safety and yes. their own future as well and that's not oftentimes easy sometimes just people are too far gone they want nothing to do with help sometimes they you can break through that and they take service offerings and buy in, and uh, the best result of any is when somebody says, "Thank you, you saved my life," because I'm now back in a better place. And those stories do exist as well, but it takes a village.
0: It does. Sorry about that. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it does take a village, and it's it's um, one thing that when you're talking, it makes me feel like ho- it makes me feel very hopeful because it. One of the things when you say, people have to buy into their own recovery um i worked for a very long time with substance abuse disorders and you know mental health is all in you know all intertwined with that so anything and everything that falls under that umbrella and to buy into their own recovery they have to trust you there has to be trust and there has to be safety and what creates that right you know you it doesn't happen right overnight sure. you know Um, And it's different for all different types of people and pasts and personalities and everything. But it sounds like, you know, the compassion is there. I can see it and feel it in talking to you that there is a real intention and a compassion and a heart for this work. And that's something that can be felt. You don't really even need to say it. And that, I can imagine, helps with the cause of instilling trust and buying into their own, you know, recovery.
1: That, but it also takes an investment. And sure, and I think the other half of this equation is having the right people doing the work. Yeah, but then also having the resources to be able to to do this. Right, this past year was tough on law enforcement nationally, and there was mm-hmm. a big movement to defund the police. Mm-hmm. And I've told people uh, it's not defunding the police; it's funding the appropriate programs that get the police out of these inter. Interactions with the public in yeah. crisis yeah. that needs to take place, and I'm all in that endeavor. I've been, we've been advocating for that, for funding for those types of programs, so that we don't have to do that part of our job anymore, yeah. which I think is very important. But that's going to, to take time because a system has to be built out. As I said, we're building from the middle backwards, yeah. but over time we can start removing ourselves from these uh, issues that are being relied upon from for law enforcement mm-hmm. to respond to and have clinicians, or perhaps even be so far deep into it that before mental health even manifests into being serious, it's being treated, prevented, and yeah. uh, on the front end, that we'll never even see it in the criminal justice system.
0: You really have to walk a, a fine line, don't you? You have got one foot in having compassion and the social work kind of aspect of your work. And then, you know, the other side is you've got to hold the line.
1: Well, and that's tough. And yeah. through my career, I've, I've taken many people to jail yeah. on the simple premise of I'm saving you from yourself. Totally. And if you don't have that mindset, mm-hmm. you, can't, you can't do this job to be punitive. You have to remember, right. if, I, if you asked anybody in law enforcement what they said in their, their interview, why they want to be a peace officer, I guarantee you every one of them said something on the line of, I want to help people, yeah. I want to give back, I want to serve my community. And that's important to keep that you know, yeah. tucked away that it brings back as a reminder that I'm here to help you, yeah. uh, whoever that might be in that moment. Um, the average person has one, maybe two law enforcement contacts in a lifetime, right? We right. have to make sure that we take every advantage of every opportunity and make sure that person's needs are met in whatever we can. But for me, the best way to meet the needs of those experiencing these social issues is to get us out of that Environment entirely, so they're being med- uh, met by the professionals who know how to do this much better than we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This has been something we've been kind of dragged into this environment because there hasn't been anybody there. It's not been robust enough to treat the, the those who are in crisis. And if we can build that system out and get everybody, you know, these people that come through are are a significant number of yeah. people who are in crisis that cycle through the revolving door of my jail. And they're not here long enough for me to get into stability. And, right. I'm, not, and, I'm, and I'm not saying they should stay longer. No. They shouldn't come at all. And yeah. if we can get that system in place and build it out mm-hmm. and be preventative mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. treat their needs better, it's it's it, everybody wins.
0: Everybody wins. And it sounds like they're, you are really pushing and, and leading a, an intentional paradigm shift in the world of law enforcement and its relationship to mental health and mental illness. And I think that is... Needed is not even a good enough word. It's necessary.
1: It is absolutely yeah,
0: necessary. Yeah, yes. And so grateful for all that you do and the the you know the heart that you have for it. It's just it's refreshing and I appreciate it so much. So thank, thank you. you. I wanted to work with the criminal justice system when I was a baby therapist when I was in school. I wanted to work in the jails. I wanted to be on the front lines. And my professor pulled me aside and he said, "Nope, you are way too sensitive." <laughs> You cannot do it. They'll all think that you're mom, and you won't be able to, to to handle it. And I thought, well, maybe you're right.
1: Well, you have to have a certain amount of sensitivity. You're working with people, so you have to be sensitive to it.
0: Sheriff Barnes, thank you so much for being with us today. For all you do, I know your, your schedule is very busy, so thank you for making the time.
1: And thank you for your time. I appreciate
0: Absolutely. it. Absolutely. All right.